Welcome to The Lila Life Show. I'm your host, Linda Andrews, and you've tuned in to the right place to up-level in your life and business. Enjoy the show. Welcome to The Lila Life Show. This is your host, Linda Andrews, and I am so excited to bring with you today of Charles Eisenstein, an essayist, speaker, author of several books, including Sacred Economics and The More Beautiful World Our Hearts Know is Possible. And and when he says essayist, and we say essayist, some thought-provoking essays that landed in my purview over the past year or so, Mob Morality and the Unvaxxed, The Conspiracy Myth, and certainly The Coronation. So if you have some reading catch-up to do, those would be where I would start but you feel into your own starting spot. Charles, welcome so much to the show. Thank you for being here. Thanks, Linda. I'm happy to be here with you. <laughs> you, uh, in my heart and mind, are, are one of my most respected thinkers in a way that may be different than you normally hear, or maybe it's what you often hear, but it's given me permission to also be that. And so I, I just feel so blessed to um, be with you and with your energy today. Uh, I think we're in certainly a crisis or it can appear to be that way. And one of the questions I have for you is how to manage possibility with delusion. And a space that I can find myself in is navigating, oh, well, I would love to live in utopia. So we could talk about that a little bit of like, is that even possible? Uh, But is there at the cost of delusion, the real world problems that we find ourselves in, in the now, and how do you manage the now with the steps of the possibility and the holding the energetic space of the possibility and then the action of the possibility? I hope I was able to say that clearly. Um, yeah, I think I, I think I catch a drift. Um, I, I, so you mentioned one of the, one of my book titles, The More Beautiful World, Our Hearts Know is Possible, Mm -hmm. which the title wasn't The More Beautiful World, Our Logical Minds (laughs) Can, uh, Make the Case That It Is Possible. (laughs) It's quite the opposite, actually. Uh, and the reason is that our, our, our rational minds operate with a vocabulary of concepts and possibilities that are insufficient to the task. So when, when, when the heart speaks and says, yeah, I know that, I don't know about the word, word, word utopia, but I know that we could soon be living in a world so much more authentic, beautiful, just, um, healed, joyous, intimate, connected, than the world that we are now, when the heart says that, the mind says, oh yeah, prove it. Uh, the, and because the mind is, is afraid. And see, ultimately, the, even the well prove it, that is coming from, ultimately that's even coming from uh, off the heart or an injury to the heart, the injury of betrayal, the injury of squashed capacities and the, the uh, shrinking the diminishment of the human being that happens in the society that we have grown up in. So our our birth into this world, into this society, is part of a healing journey from those conditions into the self, into the world that our hearts know is possible. So yeah, um, 
you know, the, the, the skeptical mind could say, well, it's not possible because this, because that, because the other thing. And it's not that this, that, and the other thing don't exist, and that we should just ignore them. But at the same time as we countenance everything, all of the horrors, all of the power elites, machinations, all of the corporatocracy, all of patriarchy, all of white supremacy, all of the of capitalism, all the institutions. And I don't know, like maybe I'm offending some people already, but whatever, <laughs> like fill in the blank. Okay. And even just they say the idea of all of the things and, yeah. and the issues of them. Yeah. So even as we countenance those, we have to remember a deeper truth that like, it's not even rational. It's, it's, I know that I wouldn't be here. And I know that all of the amazing, beautiful people that I run into, these bright spirits wouldn't be here if it were hopeless. Mm-hmm. There, I know that there's a path. I don't know what the path is, but I see the, I see the, the golden light at the horizon. And I see a couple steps on the path. And I see like maybe coming in and out of visibility as the mists shift and as the, the, the hills uh, roll, you know, I see little bits of the path out into the future too. And so really all I need to know is what's the next step in the path and to trust, to trust that there is a path and that there is a next step. That's, that's the key because when, when I have that trust and, and how to have that trust, that's a whole thing we could talk about. But when I have that trust, then I'm attuned to knowing what that step is. And when I don't have the trust, when I'm in denial of my heart's knowing, then I'm paralyzed and I don't take any steps anywhere because I'm so afraid of taking the wrong step. Mm, so good. And and this, it's it's almost serves as an anchor. There could be an anchor in here for people that when they are not in trust, like how to get back to trust. Uh, and maybe they've never been in trust ever yet in their life. Maybe, maybe there's so much trauma, so much shadow, so much um, disconnection, disembodiment, disassociation, that this is so new for them. And that, to me, that's like the heavy lifting and the invitation that we keep, you, you know, the further away from those first steps, which could feel like the hardest, like that's the real setback, you know, and there's something that I'm witnessing around certainty, like, and I felt this very early, I was like, obsessed with the knowing for a feeling of certainty for safety. And there's a a trap there. It was a trap. And I, this continues to be a trap that I have to be willing to see myself come into. Uh, And in this idea, our hearts know is possible. Just even saying that uh, I feel into uh, just a totally different energy. Uh, and, you know, the, I think of the energetic scale of, of what energy frequency am I operating in? And, and I think about how when we get locked into these lower energies, the, the thinking, the level of thinking that's available or even feeling that's available becomes much different than when I'm in a different, different frequency. Uh, but some of these words and terms could be uncomfortable for people that don't talk about frequency or energy uh, or even know about trusting themselves or the intimacy with self. What becomes that access point or that step into that journey? Uh, I would love to hear what you think about that, that step. Well, <laughs> so I think that no matter how, okay. I'll make a, a generalization here. There may be some 
exceptions of like truly like psychopathic individuals or something. But, mm -hmm. but I'm speaking to almost everybody that no matter how traumatized you are, no matter how betrayed and how disappointed you are, that there is still some little spark of that knowledge of a more beautiful world and all that goes along with it. The more beautiful world includes uh, your role in bringing that world into being. Mm -hmm. It includes the knowledge that you're not here by accident. And that knowledge can coexist with an awful lot of despair, an awful lot of skepticism, an awful lot of uh, helplessness, uh, an awful lot of victimhood, all that stuff, it doesn't just disappear because you find that thread, that, that, that spark, but they coexist. And, and if you don't believe me, like check in right now and notice if there's something that my words are already evoking, maybe they're evoking dismissal, skepticism, contempt even, but even so, like for one thing, if there's such a strong emotional reaction, that means that this isn't just some rational refutation of what I'm saying as airy fairy nonsense. Like there's something going on there. So I would just say the the proof is in your body, uh, in mm. your in yourself. And as for like, so you were talking about like the different energetic frequencies of, of um, various states of being, various emotions, you know. Oh, the scale of consciousness. Yeah. Yeah. Like, okay. I do not subscribe to a linear progression of consciousness where, you know, some people are at a high frequency and some are at a low frequency. And I mean, really that's saying some people are better than others. Mm -hmm. I understand a human being to be an entire symphony of frequencies, all kinds of different vibrations that are in various states of harmony and evolution. Like, like if you listen to a, a Beethoven symphony, it goes through movements. There's a buildup of tension at some point, and then there's a break, you know, and, and a, new, a new theme comes in and it elaborates on the old theme. I mean, that's more of how human consciousness evolves. So you could, so, so someone could be very high consciousness in one way, but very low consciousness in, the, in another way. Yeah. So when I, when I speak, if we're gonna talk about um, evolution of consciousness and expanding consciousness, I like to talk about not is our consciousness high or low, but what are we conscious of? Mm. Because the most enlightened person in one area could be totally oblivious to something else. Someone could be very open-minded and very evolved in, I don't know, like holistic medicine, mm -hmm. but be completely unthinkingly orthodox in the realm of, of schooling or education or, or some political thing. Um, or, I mean, there's just so many different ways that a human being can develop. So I think it's, a, yeah, a lot more inclusive to, to like yeah no no linear another i'll say one more quick thing okay yeah no i, I love this um the other problem that i have with the linear scale of consciousness where mm -hmm. i mean some people even put numbers on it you know mm -hmm. 
it, it leads to a kind of an achievement mentality that that like a high consciousness is something that I can achieve. And, and then feeds in again to this spiritual elitism. But when I look at myself and what happened to me to expand my consciousness, usually it was something that, like I said, happened to me. It wasn't that I tried really hard and all of a sudden became courageous or all of a sudden became joyous. It was that I received a gift from another person, from the universe, from a plant, from, from spirit. I received a gift that brought me into a new reality. So yeah, I'll just leave it. Well, in the, in the gift piece to me, when you're saying gift, like, let's be clear, it could be a huge challenge, right? That then he could then shift into the opportunity. It's not going to be this perfect gift. You could also be hugging the tree or, you know, looking and observing and, and witnessing ourselves as part of nature. Um, I'm curious thoughts around, it seems like these challenges that could also be explained as traumas, this dissonance, like a person's need to defend that they never had that. I see this right now. Like I don't have trauma. I don't, it's this complete disconnect. It's like that word becomes so inaccessible I, I would say collectively, maybe we just went through a trauma, everyone, or even are still in it. And, and yet it's still like defending that, like, I've, I've not had that. Maybe there's like more eloquent words to put, but it, it feels like this safety mechanism of the mind to say like other people have that. And I don't, uh, to, to preserve something. And it's like, at least for myself, when I started being willing to unpack some of this, I'm like, oh, wow, there's a lot there. Oh, there's a lot there. Oh, wow. That was really intense. Oh, wow. And I could see this um, survivalness and grit to me. Uh, and like it let it just let me be more me. And, and I see this like barrier to entry to even get into that part of the healing or the work. Um, to just want to, it's almost even like a gripping that everything's okay. Like everything's, it's like, I'm going to just hold up everything. Everything's okay. Uh, is it okay that it's not okay? <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, trauma is a, is, a, is a hot button word and it means different things to different people. So I think a lot of me included, a lot of people could say, oh, I've never had serious trauma. I've never, I didn't grow up in a war zone. I wasn't abused by my family, uh, you know, not, no serious trauma. But a lot of the trauma in our society, in modern society is normalized and ubiquitous. Like, I think it's pretty traumatic. Like one of the traumas I suffered was um, being sent to school where all of a sudden there's like hundreds of new faces that I've never seen before. And I'm completely disoriented, like out of my home environment and expected to do incomprehensible things, fill out worksheets, like, and, and some of the kids are mean. And I don't, these, these adults who I have not learned to trust and they're not part of the community. They're not part of my constellation of relationships. Like that was, that was traumatic but we take that as normal. Mm. Another trauma was 
a place that I used to frequent when I was a kid. Uh, it was like out in the woods, you know, it had these paths, it had wild raspberries, wild blackberries, um, this, spec this like imposing pine tree that you could see from a distance. And as I walked closer to it, it would grow. And I can remember exactly like, like that place was alive to me. And when I went back one time, it was all gone. Like that's a trauma. And I, I shared that story once at an environmental gathering and a woman was quite offended. She said, Charles, don't make yourself so special. We've all been through that. And I'm like, yeah, that's exactly my point. We've all been through that. And when we go through that again and again, when the, the ties, the connections that we begin to make to people and to places are severed again and again, one way that we react to that trauma is to really not make those ties anymore because they're gonna get cut again. So we keep ourselves safe in a bubble of separation that is then abetted by technology and by, by money. Uh, so we don't have to actually be in relationship and independency on the world around us. And so we, we live in a state of permanently unresolved trauma that makes us afraid to, to, to meet our deepest need as human beings, which is the need for relationship. So that's, yeah, that's a piece of our modern dilemma. A piece, a certainly a piece. Um, I am curious for you right now, I'd imagine that you get glimpses or big glimpses, or it's very clear of, of knowing, like of deep, deep knowing our hearts know to be possible. This knowing, and then there is the experience of the world that can rub up against the feeling of the knowing. And does that ever get you down? <laughs> uh, and what are some tools that you have in your toolkit to be integrity to your practice and your knowing? Or is it that you don't know? <laughs> and like being willing to say that. Uh, I'm curious because this is something I think about and I see and I get these deep, like intuitive. It's like I can see so clear what's happening and what we're moving into. And that doesn't take away the pain of what we're moving through right now mm -hmm. also. It, but it, it, yeah, so... Uh, that feels clear. Yeah, it, it, it can get really tangled. Um, what is my deep knowing? And what would I really like to believe is true? What would be convenient? What would demonstrate that I was right? See, I was right. So yeah, that seems right. Like psychologically on the ego level, there's uh, a lot of things that I might say, oh, that's a knowing but where is that actually coming from? And then sometimes on, I'll do the opposite, which is that I will uh, repudiate or, or shy away from something I actually know and take refuge in, well, I don't know. Yeah, it could go both ways, but no, actually, Charles, you know, and you're just afraid to say it. And maybe that fear is for a good reason. And maybe partly I'm afraid to say it because I can't actually give a full logical justification for why I know it. 
It's like a gut instinct. And that doesn't mean that I can say, well, it's my knowing. And so end of story, end of conversation. It may not be something, if, if I know something instinctively, intuitively, and it's a, a true genuine knowing, but I can't give reasons for it, then maybe I don't say it, but maybe I just act on it instead. Mm. So something like that, I don't know if, if, if I'm allowed to be controversial here. You are, please. Okay. Yeah. So like when I see like those pictures of COVID safe classrooms where the kids are masked and, and maybe face shielded and in like cubicles, I'm just like, no, 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 that is not right. And if someone says, well, like here's some statistics, you know, that show that there will be, uh, you know, 15,000 excess deaths if we don't do this. Um, like, okay, yeah, I could debate those statistics. Um, and I could say, well, that doesn't include the loneliness and the diseases of, of isolation, uh, the rising levels of, of anxiety and addiction. And da, da, da. okay, I could debate it on that level, mm -hmm. but it's not like I looked at all of those statistics and then came to my conclusion. I was like, it was, it was the other way around. I'm like, this is not the way that human beings are meant to live. We are not supposed to mortgage life at the altar of safety and pretend we're not gonna die and therefore stay indoors, shelter in place all the time. And, and, and you know, the, the, and then, okay. I mean, I could go on and on about this because I know like a lot of genuinely compassionate people say, but Charles, it's not about you. It's about protecting others. Mm -hmm. But then I think, well, if, if how many people, if I asked them, if, if it would extend your lifespan, Linda, mm -hmm. if it would extend your lifespan to prohibit all hugs from now on, mm -hmm. would you impose that on humanity? Zero, no. No, most people would say no. Mm -hmm. But we're doing that collectively as a society. Mm -hmm. So anyway, this is like a, you know, obviously a huge topic, but this is one of, the, this is an example of something that I just uh, call it a knowing or just call it a conviction. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel this. And I, I think that like for me personally, <clears throat> let's say the masking, it's like I will have this visceral experience to the masks, even seeing them without even wearing them, that I can feel my whole body. It's like my system starts to shut down. And <clears throat> whether that's from trauma, whether that's the knowing, whether that's all of it, but that's for me, like the experience that I have. And then I could say, oh, and maybe it was from this trauma and this thing and this thing and this thing. And then, oh, and then I put one on and it's, a, and it's an even more intense experience. I don't need statistics to talk about that. That's that's what's happening for me. And then this layer to the conversation around, uh, well, that you know, you're selfish or whatever. Like I, it it, dis, it disconnects. Then it it does it disconnects. And um, I, underneath this does feel like a part of, you know, collectivism versus individualism. And uh, I think there's a conversation underneath that that maybe needs to be happening. Uh, because we're saying, well, you know, you're so selfish, obviously you're an individualist. And then you could say all the other things that I am because of the statement. Uh, and, and I think that th this separation, you know, at some point we're not part of nature. We're not part of nature. 
were separate from nature could be underlying. And, and once you start to see yourself as part of nature, maybe this is at least where I'm landing. <laughs> it's like, oh, you know, things start to feel a lot different. Then I have bigger questions like what's the role of tech, you yeah. know, in, in our world and, and as part of nature, that's one of the big questions. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it feels like at the heart of some of these divisive topics is missing a picture painted of what's possible collectively that's compelling enough to shift the conversation from this or this, this or this, this study or this study to what we want to be building and moving to and the values. And, and maybe that's controversial because maybe we can't all have the same agreed upon values and maybe it just has to be this divisiveness. And, and maybe, um, and maybe from an evolutionary lens, all of these pieces and parts are really important to move us to whatever. And in this like cognitive logical piece that wants to make sense of the timeline I want it to be on, uh, you know, it's, it's not helpful. And is, is a part of this, like, is a part of it waiting? Is a part of it accepting? Is a part of it like the quantum, uh, you know, like th this sort of shifting around and in the world expressing uh, it's just sort of thoughts and words that may or may not make sense. But these are mm -hmm. some of the little like bubbles that uh, that come up. I know that's a lot. Yeah, it would be nice to have have it all laid out. Here's how it is. Here's how change happens. Here's what's going to happen. Here's what you have to do. We we uh, we're in. We were in a time in my youth where those answers were available and widely accepted. Here's the future of humanity, and here's how you can participate in it and make the world a better place. Mm. You, you would contribute to the grand project of mastery over matter, over the self, over the wild. Uh, that was called progress. Mm. And it was going to be awesome. We were going to live in utopia. We were going to have basically no more problems by the impossibly futuristic year of t the year 2000. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it, it, you know, people, wh whether you were a communist or a capitalist or whatever, I mean, most people believed that, that the magic of science and technology would clear every problem from our path. Disease, poverty, crime, um, everything. And obviously that didn't happen. And we have, as a society, lost confidence in, in that storyline. And so like, yeah, we have all these questions. Like, well, okay, that wasn't it. What is it? What is, how can we understand the world? And, and rather than step in truly into the uncertainty, into the unknown, into the complexity, you know, into the mystery, uh, people in that state become very susceptible to totalizing answers of here's how it is. You could call those fascism. You could call those conspiracy theories. You could call those cults that, that's, that, that offer you this, this rest into certainty. And I think most people... Um, end up being very disappointed with those offerings for, you know, after a while, they, they, they're like, hold on, that wasn't it either. 
and maybe that's a necessary step um, to, to really step into um, the depth of our unknowing about this world. So, and I think that that, I call that the space between stories. Mm. And that's where a genuinely new or next mythology for humanity can arise. So all of these questions like, is a more beautiful world possible or not? Uh, I mean, these all come down to um, what is a human being? What is a human being for? Uh, what is humanity for? What, what, is, what is reality? What's real? How does change happen? What's important? Like these basic questions. That's the kernel of our crisis today. It's a crisis in the answers to those basic questions. And, and sometimes I think that, that the uh, shattering of our structures of knowledge is a, is a good and necessary thing mm -hmm. because that takes us back to the knowing that you were talking about before that, that doesn't operate on those constructs that actually, like a lot of these constructs, they carry the assumptions of the past mm. and they, they entrap us. There seems to be this like willingness to not know that can be painful, humbling, um, but it's like that shedding, the shedding of the layers of the known to say, I don't know, and to be humble in the space of the not knowing uh, and ask like, what could be possible and have some ideas and have some conversation. Uh, but some of these, it feels like we're not able to get there because there's a lot of gripping to the certainty. Um, and, and that's sort of preventing the next piece of the conversation. And, uh, you know, I'm very skeptical of this really intense knowing. Really? Like, when I say that, I'm saying from more of a mainstream lens, like these definitive, like, it's this, it's like, question mark? <laughs> really? How do we know that? Because it, and, and a lot of times it feels misaligned to that deeper knowing that I, we, we're talking about. Uh, and then, and then certainly to, to shift into the possibility um, as a big word, maybe even as a space holder, it's like not accessible because of gripping to certainty or, or perceived certainty. Yeah. And certainty can be a defense actually, or a, a, an evasion of um, the, the gut level knowing we were talking about it can be a way to deny that mm. i already know so i'm not going to actually listen to what i know right like deny like in a day-to-day -day feeling that's like denying intuition like right. you know you get like go to go here now and then you're like i don't know i don't need to and like the go here now was the door open to the next thing that like spirit source god life was bringing you to but you're you're getting in the way you know can we not get it in our own ways uh and it, it seems curious to me there seems to be this energy of of the idea of evil <laughs> the energy of the idea of evil that leads one to inaction <laughs> because it's and maybe that's victim consciousness right it's like i'm the victim there's evil out there and i don't need to sense make or take action uh when 
you're going to need to at some point. And in my mind, like, why not start now? <laughs> and that was kind of like, uh, for me, at least, what can I do today? In addition to being really uncomfortable, like I needed to move through a lot of discomfort and then land on what can I do today? And let me be clear that like, what can I do today? One of the answers was like, make a food forest. It was like the solutions that I see feel really big and I need everyone on board. And, and until everyone's on board, I shouldn't do anything. And it's like, no, maybe there is something I can do today. And, and then these, these, and I, it feels actually like divine inspiration that butts its head through. Um, but this like hijacking of, I want to say action, but I also want to say being because we're in this oppression that we may not actually be in. I could comment on that in various ways, but I'm kind of wondering what's the, uh, like, what's the real question here? What, what's, <laughs> what's like the point of discomfort that you're harboring that generates a question? Like, yeah. Oh, the discomfort, you hit me. <laughs> you're not doing it wrong. Thank you. I find this process of 18 months-ish <laughs> to be quite uncomfortable. And I would say at the heart of that is you know, my own journey and challenges with health that have led me to these present ideas and watching something quite opposite of where I've landed <laughs> be um, given as, say, truth or gospel or whatever you want to say. And it's hard to watch. <laughs> it's hard to witness. And so the discomfort, and I appreciate this question, uh, that feels at the heart of the discomfort and, and the need for action because it's so uncomfortable. So at some point there feels like the ability to be in discomfort, <laughs> like, you know, like maybe a practice of that, that I've, I've never personally been in, in a way that's real. Like I would push it all out and not feel. So there's like a deepening of the feeling. Um, but this, the action and the desire for action, because it's just feels like the worst for a lack of better so, words. <laughs> I have a, question, a question for you then uh, mm -hmm. so you you know you've had uh, a journey into I'm assuming um alternative health holistic health that mm -hmm. goes back for many many years mm -hmm. and like like I have you know, and and then and you could kind of slide by without really provoking too many people but now the the uh, the collective consciousness is hostile to that mm -hmm. and says it's you know and, and and it says it's it's quackery and garbage and unproven and facts fact checks it all the time and mm -hmm. and so my question is does that ever get inside where you begin to doubt mm -hmm. things that you actually know from direct mm -hmm. experience absolutely and and to me that starts to feel like uh, you know, maybe this is conspiratorial, but mind control. It's like now I'm doubting my knowing and that feels unsafe and unsafe and like the unsafest. Like I almost can't land on what could feel more unsafe. You know, watching the censorship happen in early March, 2020 fast. Like I watched it and I was like, 
oh my God, what just happened? But it felt so scary. And, and there could be someone today that doesn't even know that's happening. And then talk about the difference in a reality or perception. It's like it almost couldn't be more 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 of a different experience of, of what's going on. And so, you know, some questions of how to be comfortable in the uncomfortable. It feels like cliche. Maybe that's not the point. Okay. The answer to your question is community. Mm-hmm. No one or almost no one is strong enough to hold the fortress, mm-hmm. to hold that self-trust by themselves. I, I call what you're describing, I call that the bandits getting into the castle mm-hmm. and deposing you from the seat of the soul so that you run around like a fugitive, carrying your, your direct experiential truth in your pocket, hoping that you won't get caught with it, not daring to let that truth rule the kingdom. But, but just like trying to survive with it. I'm very familiar with that experience. And see, because the way a human being operates, and this is totally um, natural and proper, is that when you see something that is kind of weird, kind of scary, unusual, what do you naturally do? You turn to the person next to you and say, did, did you see that? Like, did I just see, a, was that a lion? You know, was that a, was that a, a spacecraft that just landed there? Was that a whatever, you know? Is that a thundercloud even? Like, I, I can't really turn to somebody else because we we evolved to trust each other. That's how a hunter-gatherer band works. We rely on each other's perceptions because we know that our own perceptions are not 100% reliable. So we turn to each other. Uh, and and in the modern context, that means that we turn to the 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 representation of the collective agreements, which is the, the, the media. But these have been hijacked by um, special, by, by biased interests, by interests that are, and whether you know, you're gonna go conspiratorial or not, like it could just be institutional biases. Anyway, they've been hijacked. They are no longer reliable. So this natural- Conflicts of interest. Yeah. So this natural natural mechanism for reality testing can be exploited. So what what we need is other people who can say, yeah, I'm seeing that too. Yeah, you're not crazy. Yeah, I healed from cancer too with with you know homeopathy, or I I you know channel angels also, or whatever it is, like. Other people who can, you can look to them and, and, and it validates your experiential knowing. We have to, to, to seek out those communities and also to be aware um, of the possibility that we're, we're, like it also comes down to a kind of a self-honesty, like what have I actually experienced? Because, and what have I actually seen? Because, uh, we are fallible. So it's not like, um, there's no easy answer to it. But for me, like I, I came to a place of, you know, okay, maybe I'm like a total delusionary, <laughs> but I know like, I'm gonna go with my direct experiences. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm gonna go with them. Mm-hmm. You know, I've 
experienced what I've, I've felt what I felt. I've seen what I've seen. I, uh, th these are firsthand experiences, secondhand experiences, people I trust. Like my wife is a healer. Like people come in all the time with medically incurable conditions and she fixes them. Like, okay, is that scientific proof? Can I use that as evidence? No, I can't. I cannot argue with a microbiologist based on my wife's experience in healing people. But I'm, I'm, I'm gonna take it in. I'm gonna operate from there. Yeah, I know that it could be like one massive, you know, confirmation bias where she's only telling me about the ones where it worked and she's fooling herself and et cetera, et cetera. Like I understand psychology, I, that's possible. And I can't convince anybody that that's not what's going on, but I know that that's not what's going on. And now you're talking to me and maybe like a skeptic can say, well, you know, why do you believe this Charles Eisenstein guy? He could be making that up. But there's something like a gut instinct that, that um, you have a bullshit detector. You have uh, an instinct to trust. Like sometimes you just trust somebody or trust what they're saying at least. And mm -hmm. sometimes you don't. And what are you going to go with in these times? So that's, that's where I've come to in my attempt to find a way through the, the information hurricane that we are in. A hurricane at that. I'm in Florida in hurricane season. <laughs> yeah, we just had one here. Uh, I live in Rhode Island. We, we just had no electricity for two days. Unusual for Rhode Island. No, there's every Some, 10 couple years, years or so. Yeah. yeah, we get we get them. I guess sometimes. maybe Sandy, that was a little more south, but that was a big deal. Yeah. Um, thank you so much. That that really lands. And I think that this is really important for our listeners to consider what is knowing for themselves. Like just sitting with that, what is knowing and letting that move through your system. Um, and just see, see what's the resistance, see what's getting in the way, getting in the way, just a, a, maybe the mind drama, like what, what else is showing up when that question comes up, um, being in the practice of receiving information and being attuned to the knowing, uh, there, there's a lot of information and, you know, there's on the social media sites, certainly transformations happening on the different platforms within platforms and uh it all really does feel like one giant experiment <laughs> and uh sometimes i'll feel like oh i want to see what it feels like to engage and exchange on this platform and 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 show up in whatever way i'm showing up in that moment and see and you know it feels like this check-in and uh something that i've had to ask myself is you know, am I trying to be right and why? And underneath that feels like this embedded competition matrix that is on our system. And uh, that's been a really funny one to work with within myself is like the need to be right, noticing when that's creeping up and uh, at what costs, like what at what costs. And when you said that about when you know, but when you start to second guess yourself, well, who am I to say that? Or I, that wasn't the exact quote, but you said something along like, I know, but am I going to say something? And um, I think it, 
this the space for people to be in their process and that we're all in our process and we're all in this like inner web of being in our process and you're in your process and, and like and and maybe many people that don't even have an awareness of being in a process like they're just like for a word vomiting about whatever uh but that's been interesting is is like trusting that we're each perfectly like within myself okay you went on this awakening 15 years ago and you're here <laughs> that took time <laughs> and and someone may be in this catalyst today for the first time ever for whatever reason and then there's someone that may never be and there's someone that might just start that process in 20 years and just even that itself can be really uncomfortable interrelationally or not can there be that grace and compassion for um for that experience that we're each each navigating and and then you know spider webs coming in my mind of like and then what does that look like you know, relating with each other back to community. Yeah. Yeah. For all of this, uh, um, you know, trusting what you really know, what you've really experienced. Uh, there's also such an important role for radical doubt. Mm. Cause I'm seeing, you know, and partly like paradoxically the unthinking credulous acceptance of anything that seems to uh, support your beliefs comes from lack of fully trusting yourself because you need the proof. Uh, so I see a lot in the vaccine skeptic world uh, that, that, that like they'll, they'll latch on to anything that supports their case, even though if it turns out to be kind of shaky, like, you know, this thing about about the Japanese study that shows that the spike protein is distributed all throughout the body, not just the injection site and so forth. Like I looked at that study, you know, and like, yeah, it does seem to say that, but actually the amounts that are in the ovaries and, and you know, other, the, the kidneys and so forth are tiny, like, you know, 0.1%, like, okay, so, you know, it's not nothing, but it's not, you know, a smoking gun, it's like one little piece of maybe a little questionable, but, but put together with so many other things, it, it, and some of them um, are even less valid than that. Mm -hmm. And some are more, mm -hmm. uh, some are, are, you know, much harder to dismiss from a scientific viewpoint. And so, but, but there's, I haven't come across like one thing that's absolutely like unimpeachable. So, but people will will grab onto these things as if they are the smoking gun or the unimpeachable refutation of something, and then that um, you know if if it is not unimpeachable, then and it gets attacked, they'll they'll look bad or they'll just jump to something else, and 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 they will become unable though to convince people on the other side. And in fact, the two sides will diverge farther and farther apart, which is what we're seeing happening, like this gap of communication. So that gap in part comes from, from not trusting what you actually know and trusting too much in what you don't actually know. It reminds me of like the, 
actually the reason why it's a no in this example is because I just know it's a no, but I don't feel comfortable in asserting that for myself. So I'm going to grab and reach and find anything that could support the no versus like rooting into myself, trusting myself and owning my no in, in that example, or on the other side, the yes, and then this would the, be the, wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be nice if I was just so curious about your yes or your no yeah. and open to understanding and learning, you know, maybe my no or my yes is from a really personal story that you can't relate to at all, but you get me more and get me on a different right. level. Oh, you know, but that's feels somewhat removed unless you're in a very safe space. Right. And we're not in a safe space in our society now. Um, that's, I mean, the, one of the essays you mentioned, Mob Morality and the Unvaxxed, mm -hmm. makes that point. Like, um, because we're in a storyline where people are being told that the personal choice of others puts them in danger. Mm -hmm. And now I think that that storyline is highly debatable, but it is the storyline that people are living in. So you can't just say, well, live and let live, you know, and let's be curious about each other. You know, like if I'm like shooting, you know, an automatic rifle in all directions and you come up and say, hey, Charles, I'd like you to stop doing that. And they're like, oh, well, bullets don't harm people, right? Like that would be a case. And so people who are in favor of vaccine mandates and, and a mandatory masking and all that stuff, they will say, well, this is like that. So don't talk to me about, you know, your beliefs or your choice. Um, so I think um, we can't escape some level of discussion of 3D evidence and facts and stuff, but then the process by which facts are produced has been captured to a large extent by powerful institutions. So yeah, it leaves, it leaves us in a difficult situation. <laughs> Let's just say that. Yeah, the difficult situation that getting back to that uncomfortable feeling <laughs> that I was getting emotional about earlier, but uh, you know, very uncomfortable. And could this be part of the perfect medicine and growth of this present moment for each of us to move through in our own way, whatever that means. That's what I'm anchoring into um, with an open heart. There was something that I, I was in your guest lecture for uh, Dr. Edith's program on inner being, and you said something that still cuts to my core around forgiveness and love. And uh, this is the active practice that I'm in as much as I can be. Uh, but I noticed this digging and reaching for blame and shame, blame that has shame attached to it, uh, wanting to shame others, point fingers, anger, you know, a lot of really intense emotions. And I come to this idea of love and forgiveness not in a cliche way or like, hey, this is a great way to end a podcast, but to really like, what would that mean? What would that mean? What could that feel like? And uh, it's not easy. <laughs> and it's like, definitely, you know, I was raised in a religious Christian household. Like these are some tenants that I was raised into. It's different. It, it's like the heavy lifting 
uh, and there's a freedom in it. And it just keeps deepening the trust within myself. So I wanted to touch on this piece of the forgiveness and the love. I can't remember exactly what you said. And I could feel that there was a, uh, maybe for all of us, like an in progress, like, wouldn't it be nice to magic wand forgiveness and love for the current state of affairs? Um, but I would love to hear if there's ways that you're in the practice of this that could be helpful and what does that even mean to say forgiveness and love without it just feeling like an airy fairy like there is real work in that that could be helpful in this moment yeah um okay i don't remember what i said either but i can say what i'm thinking now mm -hmm. um so for one thing anger and forgiveness are not opposites Anger, the proper function of anger is to protect and enforce a boundary. It's like this energy that comes out and establishes a boundary that shall not be crossed. That's what anger is supposed to do. Like the mother yeah. hen, I'm picturing. Yeah. The mother hen, no. Yeah, that's right. It's a no. And it could be on behalf of yourself. It could be on behalf of another person. Anger is a powerful and sacred force. It can get hijacked by all kinds of things and channeled onto... Um, something that does not actually protect the boundary that you're talking about. Forgiveness comes from understanding. It comes from understanding um, what it's like to be the person who committed the harm. Mm. So if, if you know, someone steals from your store, okay, and you're really angry and, 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 and that anger that's gets turned onto them. And then you find out that like their baby was, you know, starving and needed the food. Like forgiveness comes because you understand. On a general level, forgiveness comes from understanding that if I were in your shoes, I would probably do as you're doing. We're not actually different. I'm not better than other people. I'm just in a, plugged into a different nexus point in the matrix of being. So when I'm actually seeing that in another person, then forgiveness is natural. I don't have to be like indulgent or patronizing. Well, I wouldn't have done that, but I forgive you anyway. That's not real forgiveness. Real forgiveness is I would have done that. I could have done that. Maybe it's not I would have, but I could have. Mm -hmm. I could see myself doing that if I were in that situation. That's forgiveness. And, and, and it comes a lot easier when we are in a, uh, an, a paradigm that, that says human beings do bad things, not because they're bad people, but because they're in bad situations, because they had trauma, because they have poverty, you know, because they're... they're they're doing what life does in the situation that life is in. When So in that storyline, then we naturally look for understanding. And when we look for it, we have the chance of seeing it. Yeah, that understanding feels like the important piece to end our show today. So I uh, so very much appreciate your time and willingness to be exploratory through language today. <laughs>
And uh, before we wrap, is there anything that you want to really land with any pieces, whether it's of hope or of reality or of medicine, what you think in this moment could be supportive to our audience or what you feel or what's coming through? I I mean, I think I've said what I want to say, um, but maybe just to recall again what I said near the beginning about the I mean, this is one of the items of authentic knowledge the, the, from a kind of a direct experience that a more beautiful world is possible. The direct experience comes from those special moments that you've had, these miracles, these breakthroughs, maybe it's forgiveness, maybe it's witnessing generosity, maybe it's some spiritual experience, a healing. And the feeling is, this isn't an anomaly. The world could be built on this. This is the future mm. reaching out for me. So hold those experiences as a treasure because they are. Mm. Thank you. Beautiful. And uh, for anyone that wants to find more of what you're up to, where is the best place for them to be directed? Uh, usually I say my website, charleseisenstein.org. Uh, I also started a Substack. Um, I think it's charleseisenstein.substack dot something you can find we'll fact check that for you and get it in the show notes all right thanks Linda. awesome charles well have a wonderful rest of your day thank you everyone for tuning in and we hope you got exactly what you needed Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Leela Life Show. Be sure to share, like, and comment. Tune in next week. And if you're not already a member of the Leela Life Collective, you'll want to be. So take a look in the show notes and be sure you sign up today. Have a beautiful day.